Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode number 26, Tax Strategies for Small Business Owners. Fred Dunnier joins me today in our studio as co-host, score mentor, and our audio engineer. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Dennis. Our guest today is Bert Scyther. Welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning. Good morning, Fred. Bert Scyther is a certified score mentor, and he's also vice president at 1-800-ACCOUNTANT, which is a national accounting and business development firm. For over a decade, Scyther has assisted thousands of startup and well-established small businesses with their business development needs. He has gained the knowledge of tax reduction strategies, compliance, bookkeeping, payroll, and business planning. He has been featured in expert interviews on television networks such as ABC, NBC, and Fox. Scyther is a graduate of the University of Florida. Again, welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you so much for having me. Bert, why should uh, taxes be concerned for a small business owner? That's a, that's a great question. And of course, taxes probably makes most people cringe uh, when they, they hear the word. Uh, and it's something that uh, either you can approach head on and really tackle. Uh, and if you do, uh, you can actually pay uh, your fair share, not a penny more uh, in taxes. But it's just one of those uh, inevitables of life that uh, that we have to address. Uh, but I think most people don't realize that for, you know, depending on the, the resource, eight or nine out of 10 people in the United States actually pay more out in taxes annually than any other expense, more so than our mortgage payments, rent, food, insurance, groceries, what have you. So the question should be not just how much money am I making, but how much money am I actually keeping? And over the years, I found that uh, not a lot of people think like that initially uh, when they're starting a business. And after they've been in business a while, they realize they're stroking checks to, to Uncle Sam, and then it's time to do something. Didn't one of the Supreme Court justices say that it is the taxpayer's right to pay as little taxes as possible? Yeah, more or less. Uh, many, many decades ago, uh, Supreme Court Justice George Sutherland uh, found in a ruling uh, that's actually still honored today that it is the right of the American taxpayer to decrease uh, what would be their tax bill or, uh, and I almost quote, uh, avoid their taxes uh, altogether by which uh, means the law permits, cannot be avoided. So, uh, yes, we can pay our fair share and not a penny more as long as we're following the law. So it's all about understanding the tax law and, uh, and what our options are. And then different forms of businesses will uh, inevitably lead to different tax structures. So what type of legal structures or entities should a new business owner consider? Yeah, great question. Uh, and while I'm not an attorney, uh, and I don't want anyone to think I'm giving them direct legal advice because we're just, uh, you know, doing this, uh, this show today, uh, there's a lot of options. And initially, I, th I found that a lot of people end up doing nothing at first, meaning they're a sole proprietorship uh, by default. And I think they tend to do that because it's probably the easiest to do to get started in running a business. Uh, but in the long run, uh, it could end up being the most costly. 
Uh, of course, it doesn't cost anything to set up a sole proprietorship. Uh, but when we are a sole proprietorship, our taxes actually get really, really high. Depending on what state uh, you're listening in, of course, you may have state income taxes, uh, federal income taxes. Then you have self-employment tax on top of that, which is currently levied at 15.3%. You know, it can leave you scratching your head at the end of the year saying, what happened to all my money when you're paying 30 40% or maybe even higher out uh, to, to taxes? So yes, there are other options, um, things like an LLC. LLCs uh, tend to be very common with business owners these days, S-corporations uh, as well, especially for, for small businesses. And there's really not a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, so, you know, if your neighbor is uh, uh, has the same type of business that you have and, and they have a certain entity structure, that does not mean that you should follow suit in doing the same thing. Uh, definitely get some, some legal or tax advice uh, when setting it up. But, uh, yeah, the LLC is a very, very flexible uh, entity because it's – got the least amount of paperwork involved. You don't have to have corporate minutes and meetings and, and whatnot as you would with, say, a corporation. And it's sort of known as the hybrid entity. So it's actually a cross between a sole proprietorship and a corporation. And the interesting part, it does not come with an inherent tax structure. You actually get to set it up or, or build it. And what I mean by that is uh, we actually get to choose which set of tax forms we prepare our LLC's taxes on at the end of the year. The interesting part about it is you don't choose at the end of the year when it's time to file your LLC's taxes. You actually choose in the beginning. Uh, it actually has to be done within 75 days of forming your LLC. Uh, and you do this by making what's called an entity classification election. It's a, it's a mouthful. Does that only occur once or could you change your, uh, your tax uh, structure of your LLC during the existence of the corporate of the LLC? Phenomenal question. So uh, you can change, uh, but once you pick something, you have to stick with it for five years. Now, if you've actually missed that 75-day window, which uh, I found a lot of people have because they just didn't know that they had an option, um, then you can actually – there's a revenue procedure, a rev proc that uh, can be done to uh, change it between January 1st and March 15th of the following year. But uh, basically by doing so with the the LLC and making an entity classification election, uh, we see it most common where small business owners will elect to be taxed as an S-corporation. And I want to be clear, that does not mean that you're actually setting up an, an, an S-corporation. You're always an LLC. You have the phenomenal benefits uh, of uh, asset protection, liability, etc., um, but you can get the tax benefits of a corporation. And it's all about the reduction of self-employment taxes. So that's a little bit about the, the LLC. The S corporation, uh, it's another very, very common structure because it is a pass-through structure, meaning uh, we're not having to deal with the double taxation that a, a C corporation would, uh, would bring to us. And with the S corporation, there are basically uh, two ways that we can take money out of the business. We have to pay ourselves what's known as a, quote, fair and reasonable salary. Uh, that would be you, even if it was just a, a one-owner uh, S-corporation, you would actually be an employee of your company and, uh, and have a W-2 from your company come the end of the year. Your company is actually paying half of those taxes for you, which is a deduction for the, for the company, uh, and then you pay the, the other portion. But a lot of the money, and a fair ballpark is about 50%, can actually be distributed to you via a K-1 form. The beautiful thing about this is there are no self-employment taxes at all on any money that's distributed 
via a K-1. So in essence, if you have an S-corporation or if you have an LLC taxed like an S-corporation, generally speaking, you can reduce your self-employment taxes by about half. So if you don't mind, I'll give you a quick example. And these numbers are, are very, very loose. But let's say you had a profit of $100,000 in your business and uh, you were a sole proprietorship and you didn't do anything. So let's just say self-employment tax, 15.3% times 100000 uh, $15,300. Again, very loose numbers. But if we have an LLC and we tax it like a corporation, an S-corp, or if we have an S-corporation, we could take some of the money out as a salary, call it 50000 as a salary. Uh, the other 50000 is distributed to you. So remember, there are no self-employment taxes on the distributions because it's through the K-1. So in this example, we just cut our self-employment taxes in half. So we're saving, you know, over 7000 So b bottom line is a, a, a little bit of paperwork uh, and a little bit of understanding and proper structuring in the very, very beginning can actually save you a significant amount of money. And, and I like to use the old uh, truism, don't trip over pennies to get to dollars. I like that. Well, interestingly enough, so you could also, if you had the LLC, you can also tax it as a partnership, correct? You could. And how would that affect it? Phenomenal question. So uh, that would be as long as you have a partner. So if it's a single member LLC, it's defaulted to a Schedule C. Um, and if it's a multi-member LLC, it's defaulted to a 1065. So in essence, then uh, it's treated tax-wise the same. So if you have a partner, um, you can still elect to tax it like a corporation to reduce those self-employment taxes. Well, there sure are a lot of forms and a lot of numbers. And, <laughs> and I remember they kind of go in order from low to high and all that. How many pages are in the tax code these days? Well, I think the uh, the instructions for the most simple tax return that we know, the 1040, I think is 189 pages long last time I looked. But, uh, you know, I've heard uh, anywhere from 70,000 to 100,000 pages of tax code. But... Uh, it is what it is. It's been, it's been our country, as, as we know, it was really built off of taxation, right? But where there's complexity, there's also opportunity. And I th think that's what Supreme Court Justice George Sutherland was referring to. As long as you understand what the law is, you just have to play by those rules. So if you play by those rules, you can find that even if you're a small business owner, you can absolutely take some of the same deductions or implement some of the same tax strategies that very large corporations uh, implement for their shareholders. A lot of times, you know, companies that start up, they expect to have a loss or they often do or mostly do probably in the first year at least. Uh, can you comment on that as in terms of uh, tax implications? Sure. So when you have a loss, uh, of course, I think for any successful, profitable or veteran business owner rather, um, it's, it's kind of a bummer, you know, we're, we're losing money. But when we're starting a new business, of course, there's going to be an initial investment out of your pocket. Uh, it takes money to make money, as they say. So uh, losses are absolutely normal for the first year or sometimes even a few years based on the, the type of business or the industry that you're in. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not successful or you're not making money because lots of times you're just reinvesting that money back into the business to lay a solid foundation and to, to ultimately grow. But losses can actually help those who are starting a small business if they have a W-2 or, or day job, uh, because uh, if you have an LLC or an S corporation, something that's going to pass through to your personal return, that loss would actually pass through to your personal tax return. So 
I'll give you an example here. Uh, let's say you had a day job and you made $50,000 per year. Uh, that's W-2. Uh, and let's say your business has a loss of $10,000. Well, that negative 10 is going to pass through to your personal tax return. We connect the two together. Uh, now, 50 minus 10, we're taxed on 40. But the, the catch is your employer was withholding taxes as if you should be taxed on 50. So when the returns are connected come the end of the year, the IRS recognizes this, and essentially you've overpaid uh, in taxes by ten. Or I'm sorry, ten thousand dollars worth of worth of income. So you get a much higher refund, or you would owe less, uh, whatever the case may be. But uh, the goal is, I, I think, and the reason that they they allow us to do this is so that we can reinvest back into our business, get our bills paid for our startup cost, so on and so forth, and. You know, despite all the the uh, negative things that I, I know a lot of people say about the IRS, uh, believe it or not, they actually do want you to succeed. Because if you do, and you can turn your startup into a profitable business, they'll be making money off you for as long as you're in business. Well, let's look at um, a company that's making a profit. Maybe they second year, third year, whatever. And uh, how is that taxed differently than the loss? So uh, if we have a pass-through structure uh, like uh, an LLC and we don't do anything uh, in terms of making an election, or if we have a sole proprietorship uh, and we never set up a formal structure, uh, that profit would actually just pass to the personal tax return and you would be taxed at your regular you know, income tax rates based on your adjusted gross income. Now, if you have an LLC taxed as an S-corp or if you have an S-corp, that profit will pass through to your personal tax return and will uh, be taxed, of course, at uh, regular income tax rates. But again, we get those benefits of the distributions for the reduction of self-employment taxes. So as counterintuitive as it sounds, and I know this goes against traditional wisdom, um, you don't want your business to be ridiculously profitable. You want to be successful. You want to make money. You want to live a great life, but you're taxed on your profits. So one of the things that we do uh, as a business owner, we have the ability to spend our money prior to it getting taxed. So money comes in as, as income, then we spend it on legal business expenses, deductions, and whatever we don't spend, that's our profit and we're taxed on our profit. So we want to spend the money we make by reinvesting it back into our business. If you have losses, can they be carried forward or given that they're being passed through the to the personal return, I assume then, then that's not relevant? Yeah, uh, another great question. And, and let me throw uh, a, a quick piece of uh, information before I answer that. So a loss cannot pass through to your personal tax return unless you have income coming into your business. Okay, lots of times that's a big, um, you know, eye opener for small businesses who say, well, I invested, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars, whatever the case is, into my business this year. And then when their accountant or enrolled agent CPA says, um, OK, great, um, we're not going to be able to use any of that. Um, you know, it hurts uh, at first. Uh, it, so try to earn some income, whatever that may be, if you're starting a business this year prior to the the end of the year. Uh, but yes, to answer your question, uh, the losses can carry forward for up to 20 years. So we can go back, let's say here we are in 2015, let's say you have a loss of $10,000, you didn't uh, earn any money this year, that $10,000 loss would carry forward to next year. Next year, you make income, let's say you're, you're profitable, um, we get to use the expenses for 2016, but then we also get to carry forward that $10,000 uh, in a, a loss carry forward 
and use it against our 2016 uh, income. So the point again being that make sure that you know what those losses are and probably have some accounting advice to make sure that they're tracking that and they know how to apply it in the subsequent years. We know it's a, a little bit of planning, of course, is going to go a very, very long way. So, um, you know, I think every business owner should have a, a business plan of some sort uh, uh, together and, and whether that's in their, their head or on, on paper, of course, I encourage on paper. Uh, but then you can actually see your projected financials and then you can stick to your plan and you, you ultimately know what's going to happen. You mentioned enrolled agents and a lot of people, our listeners probably don't know what that is. What is an enrolled agent? Sure. So... The best analogy uh, I think I can give is, is think of a totem pole for a moment. At the bottom of the totem pole, you've got an accountant. In the middle, you've got a CPA. CPAs are licensed at the state level. So just like a doctor, they cannot practice outside of a state that holds their license. An enrolled agent uh, is licensed at the federal level, meaning they can represent a taxpayer in any state and any in front of any tax authority. So there's a, a very, very uh, difficult test that you have to pa- pass. Uh, and enrolled agents specialize specifically in tax. Whereas uh, I know a lot of people think CPA, the first thing that comes to mind is actually, you know, hey, taxes, that's my tax preparer. Um, well, actually, most CPAs don't even touch tax here in the US, only about 25% do. Um, so enrolled agents specialize in tax and can do it uh, at any state level uh, as well as the national level. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And what are some commonly missed red flags that, uh, you know, for deductions that the business owner might come across? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, definitely want to make sure you're reducing your profit by claiming legitimate business uh, deductions and expenses. Um, One that uh, a lot of people might forget about would be something uh, like a vehicle deduction. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I drove here for, for business today. Uh, so I can write off either uh, a portion of my actual expenses, meaning, you know, your gas, oil changes, tolls, repairs, insurance, maintenance, uh, etc. Or uh, right now, the uh, vehicle mileage allowance is at 56 and a half cents per mile. Um, you can't do both, of course, um, you can, uh, you can only choose one. So it really just depends uh, what, um, uh, approach is best for you. So, you know, in that case, I encourage people to, you know, look at their, their current vehicle. How long uh, are you going to be in that vehicle? Um, how long until you, you upgrade or, or get something different? Uh, and how often you're going to be using it for business? You use the term write-off. And that, in my opinion, is probably misunderstood by a lot of people. People thought, oh, I'm going to write that off. Can you explain that? And also, can you explain that any deduction Basically, any legitimate deduction against the business is really the same. Uh, in other words, it's an apple for an apple. So if you deduct advertising expense or you deduct your rent, it's a deduction. Can you explain that? Sure. So a write-off, um, you know, uh, tomato, tomato, write-off deduction. That's the, the best way to look at it. To write something off means you're able to write that off against your income. So we want to reduce our taxable income by claiming write-offs or deductions. And yes, deductions uh, sometimes can be, you know, an apple for an apple, as you said. Other uh, things may not be uh, an apple for an apple, uh, where you might have to write it off uh, or depreciate it over a period of years. Um, So it's important to know um, what the tax implications are going to be, either from an income or expense standpoint, prior to that activity taking place. 
Would that be like a Section 179 deduction? Phenomenal example. So Section 179 uh, has... uh, it's actually coined probably about 15 years ago, the, the SUV deduction, uh, if anybody remembers that. But uh, yes, uh, Section 179 has to do with purchasing uh, equipment for businesses. And it's fluctuated uh, over the years as the economy ultimately ev- evolves and changes, um, which can allow a significant amount of deduction immediately without having to depreciate it over a period of years. I'll just give you a very, very basic example here. Let's say there was a a certain thing that you purchased for uh, your business, and that thing cost $5,000, and it was an ordinary and necessary business expense, uh, and it was an asset, something tangible. Well, normally, uh, any sort of um, thing like this in this example would be depreciated, and let's just use the depreciation schedule as an example of five years for, for easy math. That means... We purchase, we spend the $5,000 this year and we write off only a thousand. Next year, we write off the other thousand. So on and so forth. Fifth year, now it's completely written off. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I would much prefer, if possible, to take that entire $5,000 deduction this year so I can reap the tax benefits immediately because who knows what the tax code is going to say uh, in five years or there are depreciation schedules of 15 years and in some instances almost 30 years. So um, it's important to to understand how things are going to affect your big picture at the end of the year prior to you dishing out money. Can you talk about a home office deduction? Home office deduction uh, is a, another one of those phenomenal uh, opportunities. Uh, they do. There's there's a lot of question and, and speculation and, and really arguments uh, about the home office deduction. But um, you do need to have a, an exclusive space for your, your your home, and if so, you can actually write off a portion of the home's bills based on uh, the resources that the business is consuming of the home. There's um, there's an old. Uh, I'm assuming an old wives tale that I'll share with you here just to, to illustrate a point. Exclusive business use. Okay. That's what it says in the, in the tax code. Now, the story is, uh, back in the day, an auditor, um, audited a small business owner, uh, for the home office deduction. And if you do get audited for that, they will be coming to your home. Okay. So, uh, of course, you'll have an opportunity to, to prepare, uh, for the, uh, uh investigation. But, the auditor came in and, you know, everything looked great. You know, he claimed only the portion of the room that was being used by the business. He didn't claim the entire room. However, he found a pair of snow skis behind the desk. So he was using it for personal storage, completely disallowed the home office deduction. And it really can open up worms uh, for uh, a lot of time and a lot of money because the average audit actually lasts approximately six months. So uh, it could be extremely time-consuming and uh, and very costly. So can you describe recapture? Sure. So another another phenomenal point that uh, a lot of newer business owners don't uh, generally have to worry uh, about immediately. Um, so if you claim the home office deduction and you and let's say you own your home, if you ever sell that home, there's a recapture tax that you'll come back and pay the year you sell your residence. So. A lot of accountants uh, and CPAs, um, and there's a, a million good ones out there too, but a lot of them will just tell you the tax benefits. Of course, take the home office deduction. It's going to be able to, to save you X amount of dollars this year. But they don't tell you the consequence when you when you sell your residence. So best advice I can give is to lay it all on the table first. 
you know, pick and choose your deductions wisely and understand not only the benefits of writing off or claiming a deduction, but also the potential consequences. Boy, that's uh, that's really good advice. I wasn't aware of that myself, and I've been I've had a home office for years and years now that's been deducted. Well, if you own your home, I mean, uh, probably might want to stay there for a while. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. When I took uh, my accounting and taxes courses back in the late 1800s, they spent a lot of time talking to us about the difference between avoid and evade. What kind of uh, things have you seen over the years that are questionable or have been questioned and are kind of basic mistakes that people think they can deduct that they can't? Yeah, good question. So, yes, tax avoidance, perfectly legal. Tax evasion, well, you can end up in jail. (laughs) So, uh, of course, uh, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, of tax avoidance. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a, as long as you're following the, uh, the letter of the law, you know, throw the spirit of the law uh, aside for a moment. Uh, but, uh, it's going to depend, um, what you should or shouldn't or, or can or, or cannot claim, uh, as a deduction or write off that could potentially trigger something that could be perceived as, uh, tax evasion. Tax evasion is normally something that's uh, done with intention um, and purpose uh, to withhold the IRS's money and, and keep it into to your pocket. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before uh, you end up getting caught because the people that pay you the money are also reporting how much they paid to the IRS. Are there any other red flag deductions that you wanted to mention? Uh, you know, there's meals and entertainment. I'll throw that out too. Meals and entertainment uh, is another one. Um, I know that's always a favorite for at least newer business owners because it, I think it feels like you're, you're really living the corporate lifestyle, you're using your business card, you know, taking people out to uh, a ball game or a, a player or for, you know, a, a nice meal. Uh, but uh, a lot of people don't realize it's only a 50% deduction. Okay. So they end up filling out their own tax returns or their forms and they, they try to give a dollar for dollar. Will they get caught? Perhaps, perhaps not. But uh, that's another one that you have to tread lightly on and, and be very careful with. And what kind of record keeping do you recommend uh, to track the uh, meals and entertainment deduction? There's a lot of systems out there. Um, you know, I think the most primitive and probably one of the most safe bets uh, is, uh, at least when you're when you're first getting started, is to write on the back of the receipt who you're with and what was discussed that made, makes it uh, business-related. You know, always keep track of, of receipts if possible. That is your last line of defense uh, in the event of an investigation or an audit. But uh, there's a, a million things that, that you could do. You could take a picture with your uh, uh, smartphone, uh, and then that way you have a, a digital record uh, of it because receipts fade, as we know. Um, but ultimately, all of these sorts of um, record-keeping activities uh, will be funneled into some sort of a, a business management or a record-keeping system. I uh, only use a particular credit card for business expenses. Is the, are the credit card statements generally sufficient for the IRS? No. Okay. That's not a safe bet. Um, and the reason I say that is because let's uh, – uh, Think of a gas station that uh, is by your home, whatever company that may be. And let's say there was a $30 charge on your your credit card. Well, to probably most of us, we would assume that the $30 charge um, with, say, ExxonMobil um, was fuel. 
you know, for business. But who's to say it wasn't uh, Slim Jims and Mountain Dew or whatever the case may be in, inside. Um, so you always want to try to have more documentation than less because, you know, unlike the um, regular court of law where you're innocent until proven guilty, when it comes to taxes in the IRS, it's actually reversed. Uh, you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. So documentation, documentation, documentation. And does it take a little bit of extra time to do? Sure, somebody's going to do it. The IRS leaves it up to you as to how you're going to do it, how you're going to stay organized, um, whether uh, you use an Excel spreadsheet or just a, a, a legal pad or use a software like uh, you know QuickBooks or, or something along those lines. Um, but it has to be done. And in a perfect world, if you can, outsource it. Record keeping is really one of those things that personally I despise. And to all the bookkeepers uh, that are out there listening, I, I do apologize. But it's just one of those things that uh, is not an income generating activity. Any business owner or rather successful business owner uh, will tell you that your time and your best use is spent on the income generating activities for the business. So you want to make sure you're, you're spending your time uh, on the income generating activities and anything that is not directly making you money and bringing money into the business, outsource it. Now, you mentioned gas stations. Let's talk about the mileage deduction. Um, is it better to just look at your log your miles and know how many miles were used for business and take a deduction that way? Or are you better off accumulating your receipts for gas and oil and maintenance, which is the better way generally to handle that? And and just like I think uh, any uh, attorney uh, or our CPA would probably answer this question, it depends. Uh, and the reason I say that is because it's going to be based on the uh, the type of vehicle you have, your make and model, how long you've been driving it, how often you're driving it for business. But let's say you do take the mileage approach. Say 10 years ago, um, I know a lot of people had little um, binders or books that they would, uh, you know, put in the, the the pocket of their their car door to to put their starting and ending odometer, total miles driven for the trip, etc. Multiply that by the uh, mileage allowance come the end of the year to determine how much you could write off. The beautiful thing is with uh, with technology now, we've got smartphone applications where we can just say start trip, and then it you know uh, locates our GPS coordinates and end trip, and then uh, it's all basically done for you. So there's a, a lot of different ways to do it now. Okay. Um, are there any uh, tax strategies that you could recommend f uh, to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, you know, and before I get into that, I, I the structure uh, of your business—that's really where you want to start. Um, once you have the the infrastructure established, and, and what I'm referring to is, say, uh, a corporate structure like an LLC or a corporation, compared to. Uh, a sole proprietorship, then you want to move into your deductions. You know, what can I deduct? What can't I deduct? What should or shouldn't I deduct? Uh, et cetera. And, and once you have that in place, that's when you want to move over to the tax strategies, which is probably uh, a little bit more fun and a little bit more glamorous. Yes, it is a little bit more complicated, but where that complexity lies, that's where we find the opportunity. So I'll give you, give you an example here. So uh, as a W-2 wage earner, um, you know, non-business owner, you're only able to write off your medical cost each year. If your medical costs exceed, it's now up to 10% of your adjusted gross income. So most people don't qualify to write off their medical costs year after year after year. If you get sick, get hurt, what have you, have a bad year, sure, it may be possible, but it's not 
probable that you'll be able to do it each year. But uh, certain legal structures uh, would allow for something called a self-insured medical reimbursement plan. This is not an actual insurance plan that you're paying a monthly premium on, but rather verbiage in the bylaws of the corporation that states in better terms, uh, the business is able to reimburse the business owner for their medical costs. And now those reimbursements that the business pays to the business owner are actually deductible. So it's a way to circumvent that 10% of your AGI rule. So that's, a, 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 I think, a, an example that most of us could, could relate to. There's another strategy called income shifting, sometimes referred to as income splitting. And income shifting uh, is basically when you pay other uh, businesses or other individuals with different tax ID numbers or social security numbers and spread the the profits or the money out um, uh, so they get taxed at lower rates. And the example I always give here is something that I personally went through uh, when uh, I was you know probably a, t- a young teenager uh, where my father uh, actually paid me to work for his business. At the time, I didn't understand it, but I never got an allowance. I got a paycheck. And the money that he paid me was a deduction for his business because of my age, because of the nominal amount that I received, and the standard deduction, I didn't have to pay any taxes on it. Did I have to file? Yes. But in the long term, uh, it ended up saving my father, I assume, thousands of dollars uh, each year. Obviously, this subject could go on and on, and we may end up wanting to do a, another follow-up uh, session at a, at a point in time. But as we close this out, is there one thought that you would like our, our listeners to come away from this session? Yeah, I think the, the biggest takeaway uh, that uh, either small business owners or anybody who's thinking of starting a, a small business is to plan. Um, and it's to speak with professionals, people who are licensed to do this stuff prior to you pulling the trigger. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, options out there in terms of, say, tax preparation software. Um, and that's really geared towards um, individuals where you're dealing with it once a year. A lot of retail uh, locations that may only be open for four months out of the year. Um, you should have a very, very close relationship with your accountant, CPA, or enrolled agent so that you could very easily pick up the phone, send them an email, and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What should I do? And then trust that person to give you the best possible advice because you know they have a, a huge motivation to uh, make sure you're happy and successful, and that's you know you paying them their fee every year. And a takeaway should be: don't view the money that you're paying uh, that CPA, accountant, etc., as an expense. View it as an investment because um, it can ultimately save you a lot of money. Well, Bert, thank you for being our guest today on Been There, Done That. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.